0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters, and today I'm joined by Stelios and Connor. Hello. So, and today we're going to be talking about Ukraine, stops being the current thing, F's in chat. For, Money laundering. Yeah. Uh, journos deserve worse. I, I think it's just the time we had uh, a nice journo hate session. I think that's uh, justified, given, given the state of uh, recent things that have been published. And also Malay, destroying status, which...
1: We're, we are going to talk about him going Super Saiyan mode. Okay. I don't know exactly what this is, but I've been reliably told that it is the case.
0: This is, this is the segments I like where we don't even know what we're doing. Yeah. and we just kind Speak of, for yourself. I, just, I, enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy the chaos. But anyway, uh, without further ado, I suppose we shall move into Ukraine. Well, recent events in the Middle
2: East mean that Ukraine is no longer the current thing. There's fallen out of favor with the press which is quite strange. So the political class is still making signals saying that we are unwaveringly committed to victory in Ukraine, even if the war isn't going quite as well as Zelensky and they would have hoped. But some of the press are throwing Zelensky under the bus. It's an unprecedented move. I can only imagine it's tactical in some way, shape or form. Um, thought we'd just look at those articles today and, and examine exactly why the war isn't going as well as they'd hoped and what they stand to gain by making Zelensky no longer out to be the great hero and defender of democracy, as we have been told he is for the last two years. So speaking of the tragedy of a statesman, if you'd like to subscribe to our website, it's little as plus five pounds a month to get a lot of our premium content, including state officer series symposium, where one of the latest episodes was him, Josh and Bo going through Oedipus. So don't marry your mum and sleep with her and kill your dad. I mean, Hard, hard moral messages to follow, <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose. And if you'd like to watch our content for a discount, turns out, because it's our third birthday recently, we've uh, got you a discount code of up to 33% off if you use the code BIRTHDAY at checkout. That's for the new subscribers. So go over, join the family. You're welcome. Anyway, so just looking over onto what's happened recently, David Cameron, obviously appointed now a Baron. I think he's Baron Chipping Norton. So poor Jeremy Clarkson. And he's now the Foreign Secretary because the Tories ran out of ideas again. And they just wanted to abandon any pretense. They were pro-Brexit. But hey-ho, he went over to Zelensky, shook his hand, did the old, we stand with Ukraine nonsense. Meanwhile, the general lay press are throwing him under the bus. There's this giant Time magazine piece. I'm going to read a few extracts from it. And it's quite insightful because they spoke to members of Zelensky's own government who'd rather stay anonymous, saying, we kind of think he's gone mad. And actually, there's loads of money laundering going on. And yeah, our bad, guys. It really has been lining the pockets of corrupt politicians. Do you know all those things that conspiracy theorists were saying ages ago? Turns out they're all true. So 20 months into the war, about a fifth of Ukraine's territory remains under Russian occupation. Tens of thousands of soldiers and civilians have been killed. And Zelensky can feel his. during his travels that global interest in the war has slackened. So is the level of international support. I just want to put a point there that quite a while ago when Jack Texera, was the whistleblower, who had leaked loads of internal documents from the US saying, actually, the territory gains and casualties are slightly higher and faring slightly worse than thought. Everyone that looked at that and said, oh, is that is that legitimate? Again, called a conspiracy theorist. He was arrested by the Feds. Turns out that now Time Magazine are totally fine to publish basically the same thing. All right, just just putting out there. We're not moving forward, says one of Zelensky's close aides. Some frontline commanders, he continues, have begun refusing orders to advance, even when they came directly from the office of the president. They just want to sit in the trenches and hold the line, he says. We can't win a war that way. Since the start of the invasion, Ukraine has refused to release official counts of dead and wounded. But according to US and European estimates, the toll has long surpassed 100,000 on each side of the war. And so this slow progress means and the recent midterm election and ousting of Kevin McCarthy means that there is pressure from specifically the Republican side of the House to rescind support for Ukraine. Some 41% of Americans want Congress to provide more weapons to Kyiv, down from 65% in June, so 24% drop off. At the end of last year, during his previous visit to Washington, Zelensky received a hero's welcome. The White House sent a US Air Force jet to pick him up in Eastern Poland a few days before Christmas. But then that evening, Zelensky appeared before a joint session of Congress to declare that Ukraine had defeated Russia in the Battle of Mines of the World. This time around the most recent state visit, the atmosphere had changed. Assistance to Ukraine had become a sticking point in the debate over the federal budget, On the causes for the shutdown. One of Zelensky's foreign policy advisors urged him to call off a trip in September, warning the atmosphere was too fraught. Congressional leaders declined to let Zelensky deliver a public address on Capitol Hill. His aides tried to arrange an in-person appearance for him on Fox News and an interview with Oprah Winfrey. Neither one came through. Nobody wants to talk to him at prime time. Doesn't seem he has many friends left. Might also may have something to do with the optics blunder of when his last visit to Canada meant
0: that everyone got implicated in applauding for a literal Nazi. Certain organization, which I won't say because I'll start laughing again at how ridiculous it was.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, if you want to keep your career, maybe vet your guests in the future. Fight but... the SS to a certain... But there anything, really. I don't know why that's good ideas ever to invite the SS to your meetings, but hey-ho. Yep, there you go.
1: Especially by people who claim to find uh, far-right people everywhere in their societies.
2: Yes. Yeah, doesn't doesn't lend too much credibility to Trudeau, but then again, his, his dad may or may not be Fidel Castro. So, instead, on the morning of September the 21st, Zelensky met in private with then... Emphasis on the then House Speaker Kevin McCarthy before making his way to the old Senate chamber. They asked me straight up, if we don't give you the aid, what happens? Zelensky recalls. What happens is we will lose. One of Zelensky's close aides tells me, the author of this piece, that even if the US and its allies came through with all the weapons they had pledged, we still don't have the men to use them. And I have seen videos circulating recently that look like a large cohort of older men being included in the draft. And so it seems that they're running out of, younger and more able conscripts as the war goes on so it doesn't bode well for their efforts to defend what parts of their country don't want to actively secede like the Donbass regions um also his character might be affecting the prospect of a resolution this is from inside sources so not just me making it up on the fly Zelensky's convictions haven't changed. Despite the recent setbacks on the battlefield, he doesn't intend to give up fighting or to sue for any kind of peace. On the contrary, his belief in Ukraine's ultimate victory over Russia has hardened into a form that worries some of his advisors. It is immovable, verging on the messianic. Quote, he deludes himself. One of his closest aides tells me in frustration. We're out of options. We're not winning, winning, but try telling him that. Zelensky's stubbornness, some of his aides say, has hurt their team's efforts to come up with a new strategy, a new message. As they have debated the future of the war, one issue has remained taboo the possibility of negotiating a peace deal with the Russians. Judging by recent surveys, most Ukrainians would reject such a move, especially if it entailed the loss of any occupied territory. So, there is, of course, the argument that these representing Ukrainian interests. They don't want to cede any ground. They should be more than happy to prolong the fight and continue it on. But if there's not a realistic prospect of victory, if your allies aren't willing to front any more of the money and ammunitions. How are you going to fight the war and win it? And when even his closest aides are starting to sound like Russia today, doesn't bode well for Ukrainian morale.
1: Well, I must say here, and I'm judging this just from the political side, that obviously what he's doing makes sense from his own the perspective of his own interests. Because if you're fighting a war, you don't just go out and you say, I believe I'm going to lose. Yes. So... What, what he does makes sense to me in that sense.
2: Hmm. But the
0: realism of that actually happening.
2: Well,
1: what
0: does well, what the you know, question does there, look like for you beside here? Because this is something that's really undefined for everyone. Yes. I mean, as someone who's been to Donbass, I went and met Russian people as well in Moscow, who were serious people, and they don't even know what victory looks like for them exactly. They've got some minimums they'd want to achieve. It's going to be ground, mm. ceded, and annexed. But they're nowhere near any point where they could sign a deal, really, because They don't know what they're doing. The Ukrainians don't know what they're doing. The objective is obviously to retake all the ground they've lost, but modern warfare doesn't seem to be possible for either of these two militaries. They're not able to do anything that NATO can do. And instead, as, well, they mentioned, everyone's stuck in trench warfare celebrating taking a balcony every week. (laughs) Hurrah, we have taken yet another balcony. Okay, cool. In which case, I think this is probably going to be one of those wars that goes on for ages. Years yes. and years. Uh, I, I remember agree with you. Yeah. I remember when um, the starter, I'm a daisy takes me, be like God, I wish this is going to be over in a year or something. I was like, no, this is going to be ten years at the minimum. Because regardless of what victory or defeat looks like for either one, outright victory, capitulation of one side, isn't going to happen. Hmm. So instead, I think you're probably right that Zelensky, if he sits there, keep talking, even privately. Publicly, of course, you've got to give the line, but privately, that they're going to retake all this land. Good luck. It's not happening. So, Well,
2: the necessary concessions essentially have to be to allow the Donbass regions to secede to Russia and give up Crimea.
0: Depends on the Russian you're speaking to. Um, For them, basically, Crimea is a non-conversation, that is, Russian land. For Donbass, they should be allowed to join Russia. But then there's debate about how much more should be allowed to join Russia. Mm. And then you get into the people who just think, no, let's just keep going forever. Why not? We've got more men, more money, more material. Some won't be
2: content with just not having Ukraine join NATO. It will be, we need to take all of the Ukrainian landmass. So.
0: Or there's the opposition position, which is the uh, not the Russian opposition, but the opposite position, where you just say, just keep the war going forever. It's actually good for everyone involved. It's good for America. It's good for Europe. It's good for Russia, in a way. It means that Ukraine will never join NATO. And um, it's bad for everyone who's dying, but when has that ever mattered?
2: And also it depletes the Western reserves if they keep supporting Zelensky because we've cut on those off despite our face by sanctioning Russia, whereas Russia is joining the parallel economic alliance of BRICS. And so they've got lots of gold, gas and plentiful mineral resources to keep them going when our energy policy means that we're out of cheap energy.
0: Yeah, I mean, they've got their own problems too. It's yeah. it's not a perfect fix, uh, but it's it's not something that's going to make them go offline anytime soon. So I don't really know what the future of this conflict is. I mean, If this goes on for another five years, Zelensky can't stay in power, in which case we'll get someone else and this will just go on and on and on.
2: Well, I think he'll try to stay in power because obviously he's gotten rid of lots of opposition parties. He's banned lots of opposing journalists. He's persecuted the church when they tried to say, well, maybe we should call to some kind of ceasefire deal over this. So I do think he wants to retain power. But I think it's whether or not the Western allies, as we're sort of seeing here, think that he's the man to keep in power? Because they they helped appoint him in the first place. Is he looking more like a liability than a safe asset
1: now? Uh, But there is also the issue of prestige, I think, that uh, the Western allies, I don't think they're going to let it this way. So I think you're correct. It's going to be a war of attrition for a long time.
0: Well, it's it's good news for the West. I mean, NATO can sit here and weaken its geopolitical rival without having to do much except burn money, which... Uh, is what we do every day. Yeah, but
1: there's also the other issue that if you could see that the election of Biden for instance could have been may have been interpreted by several sides as a sign of weakness. Yes. And this triggered two wars. So the question is if these wars are successful for the other side, this is going to be a really bad image for NATO and the Western allies. And it's also going to so, accelerate the rate at which I don't know to what extent wars. there is the the idea that the new Republicans if they win the 2024 election, we'll do something significantly different there. I I personally don't believe that.
2: I think it's also contingent on on the US withdrawing almost all of its funding. And it is interesting that Time Magazine almost seems to be pushing them in that direction when Time Magazine, I mean, don't forget everyone. They were the one that published the article that said the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election with fortification. So they're not exactly on the side of the Republicans that they're saying don't provide any more funding. So it's it's just an interesting conflict of visions that's arising here. I don't know exactly what the motivation behind them publishing this is, but there's clearly something at work. They're even reporting, and this is shocking, on the corruption and aid misallocation allegations using inside sources. So in recent months, the issue of corruption has strained Zelensky's relationship with many of his allies. Amid all the pressure to root out corruption, I assumed, perhaps naively, that officials in Ukraine would think twice before taking a bribe or pocketing state funds. But when I made this point out to a top presidential advisor in early October, he asked me to turn off my audio recorder so he could speak more freely. And then obviously just ran his comments anyway. Simon, you're mistaken, he says. People are stealing like there's no tomorrow. When I asked Zelensky about the problem, he acknowledged its gravity and the threat it poses to Ukraine's morale and its relationships with foreign partners. He also suggested that some foreign allies have an incentive to exaggerate the problem because it gives them an excuse to cut off financial support. It's not right, he says, for them to cover up their failure to help Ukraine by tossing out these accusations. So notice the way that Zelensky frames it. He doesn't deny that it's happening. He doesn't deny that it's a problem. He doesn't discuss scale. He just says, it's unfortunate that it is happening because it's making our partners not see us as a legitimate party. To support, and it's obviously Russian disinformation that's blowing up the scale of the corruption. Well, you're not forthcoming about the scale, so why do you wonder about speculation?
0: I'm not that worried about the corruption, to be honest, from a geopolitical standpoint. Like, it's terrible, and it will only get worse. Mm. Coming back from Poland, everyone there in serious positions knows that Ukraine is unbelievably corrupt, and future aid will just have to come through Polish companies working in Ukraine because they can't give the money to Ukrainian companies. You're just burning it; it's a waste of time. But that means that there's no real reason to try and fix the corruption from anyone. So it just means that why are we throwing our money at an obviously corrupt system? Well, if you want to send it and and support the Ukrainian cause, you would do it through Poland or Romania or some other country in the region that could be a a conduit, which you could sue if they steal all the money. Whereas if you give it to a Ukrainian company,
2: uh, good luck. But then... Obviously, if your goal were to be a peaceful resolution rather than just total one side or the other victory, which I know a lot of people that are funding Ukraine, it is total Ukrainian victory, then funding them through a proxy country makes it seem like they are in NATO in all but name, and therefore the war is just going to continue on.
0: Well, they are in NATO, but all but name. I agree. I agree. Uh. But this is the
2: issue of if you're trying to get the Russians and the Ukrainians to the negotiating table, again, the elites aren't, then that's going to distance it.
0: That's my point. I don't think anyone actually wants negotiation. People in power. I mean, this is actually great for Eastern Europe, because it gets with a big rival, which was the Ukrainian state. Mm. It's good for Europe in general to keep the the Russians in a position that's away from us. It's good for Washington, because they get to destroy Russia. And for the Russians, what reason is there to negotiate with Kiev? It's like, no, we want to take more land if we can. Otherwise, we can just sit here forever. Russia is politically a weird place, but they're not exactly going to collapse for all the Strange stuff that happens occasionally, in which case they can sit and wait. I don't know if Kiev can, but good luck.
2: Yeah, and I don't think with our precarious debt-based economy and our lack of material resources doubling down on renewables as our energy strategy, we can really afford to continue it anyway. But again, suicidal elites that aren't connected to the consequences of their actions. It's not just Time Magazine as well. There was a recent report from the Washington Post that confirmed one of those conspiracy theories about the demolition of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. They're just reporting the Ukrainians were in on it. So this is Roman Chavinsky. I hope I pronounced that correctly. You would know. Um, Decorated 48-year-old colonel who served in Ukraine's special operations forces was the coordinator of the Nord Stream operation. People familiar with his role said. Now, of course, they use that line all the time for the Trump administration. It might have just been some homeless man sleeping on the street outside a congressional office in, in those days. So you never know the legitimacy of the source. But the fact that they're even running this headline means that it's reputational damage to the Ukrainians when the line before was How could Russia possibly blow up their own pipeline? Putin's clearly a madman, etc.
0: Well, that's the good thing, really, is that you're able to now talk about the failures of the Ukrainian state. I mean, there was a period where you could only speak praise in the mainstream media. They're now able to, well, say the bare minimum, which is, yeah, you're corrupt. Here's where you probably engaged in an act of terrorism, blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline. I mean, we get why. It's a great geopolitical move, don't get me wrong. Everyone can see the logistics behind it. But why sit here and be like, yeah, the Russians did that? No one believes that.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea wasn't that Ukraine was not corrupt, but the question was the trajectory it would follow. So uh, the way I was listening to the narrative, few people would say that Ukraine was not a corrupt state, but they would say that the Ukrainians want to be closer to Europe, which would trigger a procedure of, let's say, lowering corruption.
0: Joe, I'm just getting more to the point of the here and now. Yeah, yeah. In which there was a period in which even talking about the fact that if you were sending money there, it was largely going to disappear into a black hole. um, Wasn't even allowed to be discussed.
2: Well, as well, if you were saying, actually, it was unwise for NATO to creep up to Russia's borders because you would have provoked Russia, and we know that Russia are volatile. But if you said that as an assessment, you'd immediately be called a Putin apologist. So if you suggested that Ukrainians were very corrupt, that there was anything untoward about the US State Department's uh, involvement in the deposing of the former leader in 2014. You were called a conspiracy theorist. And so, yeah, reasonable people would have said this is not a bastion of democracy, but the elite messaging was very much Ukraine shut is up. unscrutable. We are handing all of your money over to protect democracy, which is mad, which is just not true. So, Chavinsky actually denied this through his attorney. All speculations about my involvement in the attack on the Nord Stream are being spread by Russian propaganda without any basis. Oh, sharp. Uh, yes, Russian propaganda from the Washington Post, who Formerly, with a spearhead of accusing Donald Trump of working with the Russians. Right. He said in a written statement to the Washington Post and Der Spiegel, who conducted the joint investigation, Stravinsky's participation in Nord Stream bombing contradicts Zelensky's public denials that his country was involved. Quote, I am president and I give orders accordingly, Zelensky said in a press interview in June, responding to a report by the Post, the US Central Intelligence Agency had learned of Ukraine's plans before the attack. This is also something that Dan and I covered in the segment quite a while ago. Nothing of the sort has been done in Ukraine. I would never act that way, Zelensky said. But the Nord Stream operation was designed to keep Zelensky out of the loop, people familiar with the operation had said. So the interesting reading there as well is not just that the press have fallen out of favor with Zelensky, but. Are his own government going around him and taking other actions that he's not aware of because they think that his private and publicly stated narrative of total victory is unlikely on the current course of action?
0: I don't know about that. It could also just be, it's best that you not know. We need you not to know. Mm. That happens in government a lot. If you're going to blow up Nord Stream, probably best not to tell the president. And that way he can deny it. I suppose so. It I'm just thinking gas yes, me- minister. No, no,
2: no, you're not, you're not wrong. I, I was thinking more of the sort of Trump administration when the military officials told him we'd withdrawn from Syria completely and they actually stationed a few hundred troops there still. And so they just went around because they thought the commander-in-chief wasn't making competent decisions. So, it, But the fact that we're even raising that question means that there are cracks in the Ukraine narrative. Things aren't going as well as everyone in the elite had already said. It's actually the conspiracy theorists who have proved right. And so now you've even got Konstantin Kissin turning around and saying, it's time to end the war. Constantin, given his Russian heritage, has been very vocal on his pro-Ukraine support. He's debated Chris, uh, Peter, Peter Hitchens rather, on this. And if even he's coming out and saying, now there's no reasonable prospect of a Ukrainian total victory, we need to look into peaceful solutions. It's becoming a mainstream position.
0: It is definitely true that the rabid support for the Ukrainian state in the West, that has been completely eroded. That basically doesn't exist, as you're demonstrating. Uh, even in places such as it was like, you know, send more all aid we can to help them get a better peace. If he's given up, you know, The Times has given up, The Washington Post has given up, definitely that rabbit support is now gone. And what's left exactly? A West that maybe wants to give more money? But how much more? Well, they want to give money
2: somewhere. This is a visual representation. Now, this was a fake video for, for everyone that, that needs to know. But it was do? a deep fake. Um, Polisco have fact-checked it, but it is representative of what's happened. This was a fake Times Square, uh, Times Square billboard where the Ukrainian flag and stand with Ukraine has been nudged out by the Israeli flag and stand with Israel. And that's basically what's happened. And I think the, one of the reasons for that is the narrative power of the Second World War is more powerful than the Cold War, particularly for conservatives who, and, and liberals who have been beaten with the Euro mid-century German stick for so long that actually preserving the lives of Jews against anti-Semitism and, and total destruction by Hamas means there's more narrative driving force that moves the defense of that. And so Ukraine has just taken a subordinate backseat in the public consciousness.
1: I think that's also important to tie it with the, with the actions of EU with regard to digital um, freedom of speech and protection of speech. Right. because. By showing this, that you are not allowed to say this, but now you can, a few, a few years ago, you have an, a very good argument against the disinformation wars that the EU is conducting with this Breton fellow.
0: I mean, I, I appreciate your, your theory about the, the fact that obviously Israel's more important to the West than Ukraine is. That is true. But one of the things I found in Russia, and I think this probably explains it better, is that part of the Russian strategy like a few months ago when I was there, <clears throat> is that we'll just wait. The West gets distracted with some other thing eventually. Yep. They they know how we operate, and it's true. that The current thing meme, as kind of inaccurate as it can be sometimes, is true that the West operates on kind of amnesia, but we just jump from subject to subject every six months, and I mean international big subject yep. that we're obsessed with, and then we just kind of get bored with it and move on. And yep. the Russians I met in Donbass and in mainland Russia both know that that is a problem the West has, I mean the Chinese talk about it a lot with Taiwan. Just wait. If you just wait it out, the Western world just moves on to something else.
2: They have multi decade plans and unwavering conviction in their own sense of national belonging. Whereas we are a very globally monocultural, very online political climate. And that means that we're more liable to grand scale capture, moving from COVID to Ukraine to Israel to climate change in the future, I suppose.
0: But they are also in government for multi decades. Yeah. That's that's also that's part a of it.
2: Yeah. So I suppose I'll wrap that up there with um, so long Ukraine, uh, hello war in the Middle East, and I look forward to the next current thing. What do you want to bet the next current thing is going to be? Should we have it, Should we have a gamble just before we move on? Yeah. Oh, the fall of the American Republic. Because no one will accept the
0: 2024 <laughs> election no matter what happens. Well, you think so. What? Trump wins, and then that's the next current thing for a year. Or
2: even if Trump loses, no one will accept it. All right. But the last election they accepted was 2012, right? And where do you go from. Um, implicit deep state coup to semi-explicit election screwery to what, small-scale street-level conflicts? Where this time around, because of the 2020 riots, the the American patriots will start defending themselves and people will unfortunately get shot.
0: I'm going to preempt that and say the next Black Lives Matter riots will happen just before the election. So even running up to the election, there'll be another hero.
2: But I don't, think, I don't think it'll be nearly the scale because I think people will try and put it down this time. Maybe. You want
0: to have a guess?
1: Yes, I think that uh, there will be lots of uh, protests and, uh, let's say, turmoil in Europe with an uh,
0: illegal immigration thing. With the new Europeans. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I suppose we uh, shall we move on. So, Gionos are bad people and deserve worse than we can even comprehend. And I have come to give people the good news of... Um, I don't care how much you hate the journos, it's not enough. And I shall prove it. We'll start off just by promoting the, the Lotus Eaters merch. That's, that's a thing. There's a merch store. Go and check it out. This is the posters you can go and get with uh, well quotes on how to live your life better, I suppose. Look, how pretty. So when you, when you bring a pretty girl home and she sees that hanging above your bed,
2: <laughs> you'll absolutely get laid.
0: Yes. So do go and try it out. There are various sizes and other posters. You
1: should tell her that it is right. Therefore, Marcus Aurelius says you, you can do it.
0: Wait, honey, where are you going? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, do go and check it out. Otherwise, you can also subscribe. There is a 33% off code for uh, the birthday period. This is our three-year anniversary. So if you type in birthday on checkout, you can get 33% off subscriptions at OZs.com. Otherwise.
2: Also, if you're a subscriber, when you subscribe, you might get a discount code for the merch. Ah, that's true. I think it's 12.5%. It is a whole 12.5%.
0: Do go and check that out. Merry Christmas. Anyway, so there's this meme. That's obviously very good. Aaron. Good on, our on. Yeah, he's correct. Don't maybe tap the sign. You don't hate journalists enough. You think you do, but you don't. And well, it's true. And he's responding in this specific instance to this piece of crap from the nation. Should America keep celebrating Thanksgiving? This happens every year. And of course, it's a yes, no article where it's like someone who's like, well, obviously, it's a period in which, you know, it's important to our history and it gives us a nice opportunity to check out the Indians and their culture. We don't care about it the rest of the year. So isn't that neat? And then there's like the no crazy person who just turns up and starts screeching about decolonization. We spoke to Elizabeth Warren and she said... (laughs) Yeah. She uh, says here that we need to give thanks to the native nations who created the world that we inherit today. They didn't... Hang on a minute. No, they didn't.
2: They didn't didn't create the (laughs) world. They just sort of occupied it and lived in it. And you know, then they also didn't build the
0: country. The Indians. Yeah. They're the real Anglo-Saxons that built in America. I mean, I don't even know what to do with that. It's just painful. If she goes on to argue that the reason that they uh, built the world we currently live in is not because they invented any of the things or built any of it. Yeah. It's instead because all of the food was here, such as tomatoes, squash, beans, and corn. Are they really going with the cuisine argument for both the indigenous and the diversity now? Llamas, they're from the new world, therefore, old world people, what did you make? Nothing. It's its not impressive to say what that. his Emperor's New Groove once. Yeah. Not to mention, I mean, you can go and look up. She's arguing, oh, they, they selectively bred and genetically modified the crops. And it's like, no, they didn't. They selectively bred them. They couldn't genetically modify them. How are you talking about, woman? I mean, have you seen the kind (laughs) of American (laughs) Monsanto over here? Well, you you can go look it up yourself. I'm sure everyone's seen it where it's like corn at the moment the Europeans discovered America and it's these tiny kernels versus the the glorious modern American cob of corn, which is making me hungry just thinking about it. But anyway, she ends it off with some crap where she argues, let's tell a different story by dropping the lie of Thanksgiving and begin Truthsgiving," giving which is where she drops truth bombs, such as the Indians built America. Can you scroll up slightly just to that that paragraph there? Um, To this
2: day, the doctrine of discovery, the foundation of federal law permitting settlers to take possession of the land they discovered, imposes a set of Christian-based, quote-unquote, laws and institutional thinking that confines Indian existence, quote-unquote, legally, politically, and economically. This is something that Sylvia Winters did with unsettling the coloniality being true freedom. She's one of the nutcase foundational critical race theorists. And her theory is basically, we didn't have a definition of human beings until the American... Enlightenment founding fathers turned up and wrote the constitution to explicitly exclude black people. And that's the only reason they wrote the constitution. So actually, like having any definition of human being excludes anyone who isn't white. Therefore, all laws are oppressive. Therefore, get rid of them. This is a proper return to noble savage kind of madness here. And they're just applying it to every ethnic group now.
0: And that is pretty typical of American media. Yeah. Like every couple of months. I mean, in this case, every Thanksgiving, we get this kind of crap. And, but that's not the worst example. That's not the thing I really want to talk about today. I could sit there and talk about this. I'm never going to talk about this. BBC Pigeon, doing BBC Pigeon things. People who don't know what BBC Pigeon is, it's a BBC news outlet that's made for West Africa. And they decided that West Africans can't speak English. They speak Pigeon English.
2: Is this the global... <laughs> this is the global list for the yeah. 100 women, right? So last this 100 is, women. This is the source of the meme last year where Billie Eilish was on it, and I got chewed out, so I wonder if she's
0: on it again. Who Day on de list this year? the BBC don't reveal this list for 100 inspiring and influential women around the world I mean I'm sorry I can't stop laughing at BBC Pigeon because it literally is just you spelled a few words wrong right so you have to continue reading (laughs) I would be happier with
2: paying a license fee if they narrated these articles (laughs) could you imagine if there was an audio track Jonathan John Crow? Crow,
0: get on it People were done among them that an attorney and former U.S. First Lady Michelle Obama. Like, that's English. That's just English. Yep. Human rights lawyer Amal Clooney. Again, some more English. Balloon Dior war winning football. Okay, this is getting back to gibberish. And it goes on. This year, extreme heat, wildfires, floods, and all the natural disasters. Just write another. You could just write the word another. I think people in West Africa have got Duolingo. <laughs> I think they could learn English. They've got a Google Translate <laughs> plugin. Yeah. there, There isn't one for Pidgin. For some reason, racist Google Translate doesn't recognize Pidgin as a legitimate language.
2: But do they do this for people that are living in the UK reading the BBC, or is it for people living abroad who only sort of read English? I think it's for us to laugh at.
0: So. <laughs> okay. <all right. laughs> so, I mean, BBC Pidgin... Uh, (laughs) Sorry, getting back to what they're trying to actually promote here, which is 100 most important and influential women. I did notice that there's no business leader tab. There's climate pioneers. Politics and advocacy. Well, that is
2: business at this point.
0: Science is like the only thing here that I
2: Entertainment and sport. Which propagandists have they got in that category?
0: Yeah, I I stuck out To promote the status of female... Oh, God. It, it, no, no, you have to, please.
1: I, I, think, I think that everyone wants you to keep reading it. Down. I, I don't want to keep reading it, though. John, can you
2: control F in another tab to see Billie Eilish is on, on this one as well? Oh,
0: oh you want to control F That I mean, there we are. There's a woman who drives a truck. Truck driver,
2: Ooh, great. Not not for the Canadians, <laughs> I'm sure. <yeah.
0: laughs> no, but there we are. What, a, what an amazing achievement. Um, woman drives truck. She married on. at the age of 17 as mother of four Picking. What? I, I don't know. <laughs> Trying to read BBC Pigeon is, uh, is a fun... I want level. to decipher for it. There's no Billie Eilish. Your queen is not here. Disappointed. Sorry to say. But anyway, the point being, I'm not going to talk even about this kind of garbage, which regardless of the BBC Pigeon, the 100 Women Most Influential list is also garbage. Let's be honest. I want to talk about absolute, crystallized, beautiful reasons to hate journos, such as the BBC's article about black women most likely to die in medieval London from the plague. All one of them. Yes. So this is...
2: Very much like Hillary Clinton saying the first victims of war are women. Yes. Because they're the widows. And it's like, okay, who's who's dying for them to be widows? Right. Gotcha. Their wives. I, I
0: don't know. That's, who knows? In fact, uh, well, they've come to tell us exactly how many black women were the real victims of the plague. Everyone else was not a real victim. Of course. It's It's eight. Apparently, there were eight black women in all of medieval England.
2: Yeah, but is this like the reverse of the three-fifths rule, where they were worth far more than every other native white peasant at the time?
1: No, no. We're Uh, we're not America. I think there was an editor mistake here. The editor didn't see it. They wanted to write to really die in medieval London.
0: Sorry, what do you mean? Most likely to really die? Yeah. Okay.
1: That's what the the author wanted to write.
0: Well, sadly, she ended up writing this piece of crap. And uh, as you can see here, this is just gold. Black women of African descent were more likely to die in med- of medieval plague in London. Academics from the Museum of London have found. Is there a BBC Pigeon version of this? Oh God, I, I did look. I couldn't <laughs> find it. <laughs> the study was uh, the first archaeological exploration uh, showing how racism influenced a person's risk of death from the plague. Because the plague, George Floyd us. I... Those fleas in little clan hoods. <laughs> Maybe the rats. Uh, the likelihood of dying from the plague was amongst highest of those who already faced significant hardship, including exposure to famines that hit England during this time.
1: Sources Netflix.
0: <laughs> yeah, What I do love implicit in that statement is the idea that there was an ethnic group of Black Britons in the 1300s who lived in London, and man, that they couldn't catch a break. Brother was being kept down by the king's men. They could catch a plague though. <laughs> they, they, yeah, they, apparently they could, and um, they say in here that of course those suffering hardship were the ones most affected. So even in the 1300s, apparently the black population of London were underachieving. It's very sad to hear. Uh, they say it arrived in London and they give us the history of the plague, which do I need to read? People not know about the plague? A like people know about the it
1: plague. It had something to do with rats, didn't it? It was fleas on
2: the
0: back of rats. Fleas yeah. on the rats. Or it was God. Either one. I like that one.
1: I, th- I think the government had a bad mandate to ban cats. That's why there was a plague.
0: Yeah. 15th century Anthony Fauci. But they say in here that half of London's population died, and of course black women most affected, as you could probably tell, because the research concluded that higher death rates were amongst people of colour, as they were called in ye olde England. We Wait, was- <laughs> so, so eight means compared to half of... Half of London. Half of London dies, eight black women die. I can't believe black How women... How will we go on? <laughs> yeah, it's literally... They say in here that those of Black African descent were those uh, most affected from the devastating effects of quote pre-modern structural racism in the medieval world. They don't name any of that. That's are so chronically <laughs> stupid. I actually don't have anything to say. No, I don't know what you do with this. I mean, I can't really fathom as to why they wrote
2: this. I, I want to do. I want to do what Douglas did when he keeps getting invited on Piers Morgan's show to talk about reparations and just say, I'm just tired of this. You're you're clearly just. Unserious, unintelligent grifters who are unfortunately being paid with license fee money to produce Where's race it? propaganda nonsense.
0: Just go away. I want to find the name. Who is responsible for this? There is no Scroll name list. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm... For some reason, this article doesn't get a name listed as to who I can is bully on. Such Twitter. crucial research. Why would you not want to associate yourself? <laughs> well, they have got someone who you can, um, I suppose, talk to. If
1: it, it's you know. communistic. You know, it's the the team who wrote the article.
0: Well. Dr Rebecca Redfern Of the Museum of London She's come out to say that "quote, We have no primary written sources From people of colour Because that phrase doesn't exist Shut up And those of black African descent During the plague
2: It's a racism source (laughs) I made it up
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well I have no evidence But you know um... There's the man doing all the racism Apparently Yeah She says, even though she has no evidence, archaeological evidence, so their research, is essential to understanding more about the lives and experiences of people of colour. The racism is in their bones, and we shall find it. So literal offence archaeology. Uh, Yeah. And what's weird about this is this is the one people jumped on, the BBC outlet that reported this here, so you can see this piece of crap. I'm just highlighting it because I have utter contempt for this entire website and everyone associated. But they didn't actually include a lot of info. For some reason, The Guardian actually had more info because I like how they have a beeponic plague tag. <laughs> Is that just reporting on San Francisco? I don't know. I want to see now. <laughs> what's what's in here? Ancient Britons built Stone Hens and then vanished. Okay. Alright. Not as cool. Not as cool. But back to the uh offense archaeology as you rightly say. They're saying here the results uh reveal sorry, nine, not eight. It was worse than I thought. Nine victims. Well that's where eight. the disproportionality claim comes from. They're of African heritage, it seems. We proved it by looking at their bones. Uh, whilst 40 seem to have been of white, European, and Asian ancestry. Not sure how many Asians were in medieval England. I'm, I'm guessing that these researchers aren't the serious of people. So I'm not sure I trust... But it's you. the Harvard admissions team. Yeah. Uh, they say uh, there were eight, and 88 respectively, of those in plague and uh, non-plague burials that they looked at. So they're arguing that London was about 9% black. No. No, it's 13% now. So I don't think it was 9% black, cause that doesn't make sense. They say whilst nothing specific is known about these individuals' lives, we have no evidence, <laughs> the team say that many women of colour would have worked in domestic service and experienced race and sex-based discrimination. All women walked, worked in a form of domestic service. The household was the, dom- the, household was the economy. Like, the only few tradesmen and guildmasters worked yes. in the centre of the city. But a white serf is more privileged than the Black Surf, even though they work in the same place in the same city at the same time doing the the same work. We just know. We know why, because I've looked at their bones. She doesn't tell me how. That shows you anything, but whatever. It's actually consulting runes. It it is amazing. They say here, the plague is portrayed as an indiscriminate killer, but we know it actually wasn't, said Dr. Redfern. Oh, come on. So they're they're, they're full on saying the plague has a racist motive. (laughs) Yes. The, the plague literally joined the clan and was like, well, time to do my work. Dr. Oneika Nuba, a historian of the University of Nottingham and the author okay. of Black Moors, uh, about Africans in Tudor England, she says it remains a challenge to accept for many people that different ancestries and heritage were an established part of England's past. Quote, it's not a political matter, it's a matter of conjecture. It is actually evidential fact. England has always been ethnically diverse no. for thousands of years. No, it hasn't. Woman who watched Horrible Histories once. Well, it's worse than that. She did actually write a book. It's, as I mentioned, it's called Black Shoes. I've read it. If you want to go and find it.
2: Oh, this. I've seen this before. And David OlaSoga has endorsed it. There you go.
0: Yeah, because it's crap. Yeah. I read it in um, Amesbury's library, wonderful library, and uh, I was flicking through and I counted up the number of black individuals she could even list. and It's equivalent to a number of Zoroastrians that exist in Britain today. <laughs> So if you've never met a Zoroastrian, it's sort of the same as being in medieval England and never meeting a black person. So I'm sure, well, there's quite a few of you, I imagine. There's only 4,000 Zoroastrians.
1: Don't speak ill of a Huda Mazda.
0: Of course, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to get the sun gold on my back. But you can see for the cover here, she actually has an individual there with a trumpet. And we've spoken about him before. I love how he keeps coming up as an example. This is John Blake, who is literally famous for being black. That's his only achievement. Many such cases. <laughs> there is. People who don't know He turned up to England And the king was just like Hang on a minute That's different And recruited him To play a trumpet Because Oi I've got one of them (laughs) Sincerely That is his only role Because it is to show off That the king Is worldly And knows all about the world Why he has black people In the court. You you ever seen one of them He attracts the most
2: Interesting characters Just by being the king
0: Yeah Yeah. I just I can't believe that For for all of these like Afrocentric movements It was like The Anglo-Saxons was black the Celts was black. London was black. Trust me, bro. They have to always jump back to literally one guy in history whose only achievement is that he was black. Yeah, he's the totem of historical revisionism. I mean, he is probably the most cited token man of all time at this point. And sincerely, that was his job. He got paid well for it. You know, got a nice lifestyle out of it. I'm not blaming him. Go for it. But you may have noticed this is uh, very much the same narrative they had about COVID. They mentioned COVID earlier. Yes. Uh, just as COVID stalks the land today, killing black people because it is a racist. George Floyd the, did have COVID. Yes. The, the, if George Floyd was a peasant, the plague would have come for him mm. and killed him with its, its neck-biting powers. I mean, we've been over this before. Why is COVID killing people of color? For some reason, they've taken this off, iPlayer. I don't know if people remember our segment on this. And the reason being because they asked Kemi Badenok as to why black people were being killed by COVID. And she cited genetic differences and health differences and lifestyle differences. And then it just ends. Yeah, because they were hateful. <laughs> yeah, they spend like a half an hour just being like, whoa, Jesus, there are lots of black people being killed. Is it because the NHS hates us? Hmm. And then they ask Kemi, and Kemi goes, no, here's why. I'm like, oh, yeah, wrap it up.
2: <laughs> yeah. If you want to talk <laughs> the about it, delete it dis- from my player. If you, to, if you want to talk about disproportionality, maybe obesity in the Caribbean community might be something worth addressing to keep them alive. No, again, racism apparently. All right then.
0: Yeah. And the BBC are used to this. I, mean, I found this. This is a, a weird piece of work. So you can see here the unspoken weight discrimination problem work. Do you care? Does anyone care? What is um, this? This is just victim writing. Yeah, I, I I do if my workplace is filled with unpleasant looking fat people. That's, that's true. But uh, You can see this goes on because if I keep scrolling, there's that crap article. Why layoff hit workers of color so hard. Okay. Again, more victim writing. There's another one. Did Me Too die with Gen Z in the workplace? Who cares? Literally. Discrimination pushing LGBT. Que- I, what is this? And it just keeps going. Like I'm just going to keep scrolling. You see there's article after article. And every single one of these pieces of crap is the same thing where it's just, did you know minorities most affected? Like, okay. Okay, BBC. This is literally all you produce at this point. Oh, that well, was, at least, what's, what's that was at least about accentism. What's quite funny
2: for the BBC to produce because I saw it at the bottom of the page. Did you read their review of their own Doctor Who special? Did they say it was great? They said it was crap. They said, <laughs> they, they, there's a direct quote actually that says this has just become a vehicle for capital T, capital M, the message So someone at the BBC, which is a critical drinker. Nice. Yeah, there you go.
0: But this is where we're going to end it off. because, as, as you can see, I mean, journos just deserve um, hatred for what they've done, which is no work. And you got paid. You bastard. But instead, I want to end this off with just the fact that it's also just wrong. This is the, the bit that eludes me, because no matter how much this blew up, as you can see, I think it's got like a million views or something now, almost, as you can see there. if You actually go to the source, Museum of London, here you are. This is, the, this is Dr. Redfern over here from earlier. She actually just says that, um, no, nothing I said was true. Because she goes on to write, as you can read here, in archaeology, social inequalities can be identified in many different ways. And one way is how people are buried. When we looked at how skeletons were buried in East Smithfield, we found that none of the plague victims with black, African or mixed heritage had been maltreated as you might expect to see in a population group that might have suffered discrimination. So it wasn't a pauper's grave, basically. It was just a regular grave site. It's not even that. She's just made the point there that none of the black people we found in the past ever suffered discrimination. There was no evidence on their corpses. Even though I just spent ages telling you about how them dying of plague is racism. It's just bollocks. She says we could see that in their bodies They were placed in the graves with care and respect, as we can be seen in the image. What exactly this might have meant requires further research.
2: The last line is there very revealing. It's, oh damn, this undermines our entire narrative. Look for the next excuse.
0: Yeah, we looked at the the corpses, as you can see here. We found out that those of mixed ancestry were treated with respect. There was no evidence in their bodies of any kind of unusual treatment or punishments or any damages that may have resulted from racism. But trust me, these people here were victims of medieval racism against the black race. This looks like the music video for Kanye West Famous, and I can't unsee it. <laughs> True. But that's the worst part, which is even the individuals here who wrote this piece of crap, the, the, the well, scientists you can't trust, frankly. She, she's been the senior uh, curator of archaeology at the Museum of London for two years now, this individual. So it's good in good hands. But they wrote themselves that none of this was to do with racism. And The Guardian and the, journal- and the BBC just picked up and went, Racism. Yeah. Just like COVID. COVID 2. The plague. Those <laughs> will move on. We'll go to Malay. We and we'll have, just... have the... There we okay. are. The tools.
2: Stelios tools gets the Tools of the stick. trade.
0: Podcast craft. Who's... The like mouse.
1: <laughs> Let me just... The ghost in the machine. Me... I
0: think John's also moving the mouse. Okay.
1: No, no. I think I have control of the mouse for now. Unlimited power. <laughs> okay. So... Josh did a segment yesterday about uh, Javier Mila, and he talked about the policies. We're gonna look at some of the fun stuff and talk about some of the challenges that he's facing. First thing I want to say is that I love his energy. Just look at the first clip here. Him with a flag. I mean, he is a real eccentric. It it's is not, a <laughs> he's a guy you'd love to have at a party, right? I would find him annoying. I'm gonna be honest. You would just sit in
0: a chair no, with no, your no, drink no. and enjoy. I, no. Just be
1: like. I would definitely invite him. Now let's go to the next clip because he has excellent dance moves. Look at it. You know, if if people don't want to dance at some point, you know, he is guaranteed to raise spirits. Is that dance
2: moves? He's like the BitConnect Connect guy. <laughs> yeah. Look,
1: look at this. You know, he's, <laughs> he's, No, he does. He does
2: have a little bit of Trump about him there, where Trump used to boogie along to the YMCA. That was at yeah. least endearing.
1: Yes, basically. So he's spreading love around and enthusiasm and stuff and i want to show you now i think one of the funniest videos in politics i've ever seen it's mile can we have sound please
0: yeah <laughs>
2: But why? He's like Leatherface at the end of Czech,
1: Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. So basically, I want to thank Luis for a lot of context. A friend of the show, he has given me lots of context about Argentina. But He told me that he is basically saying um, for the cast to tremble, that the cast caste is trembling or something. He's going to use the chainsaw to destroy all Argentinian corruption and the... In the corrupt Argentinian institutions, and he is basically making everyone really happy and hip. It, it looks like this, chainsaw. It looks
2: like a POV shot from Dead Rising or something. Uh, I, I, why, as a politician, would you want the liability of going to a packed South American crowd and waving a chainsaw about? Because it's well, good fun.
1: If th- it is good fun, and also if things don't work, you're preparing your CV for a <laughs> Lamberjack position or something. You're showing you can handle the chainsaw. He. he, he <laughs> He
0: does have the facial features of an axe murderer in the 1970s. I don't know if I can, but next time I go campaign, I want to bring a chainsaw on the doorstep. <laughs> on the doorstep?
2: Yeah, go door Whose knocking. are you going to turn up to- Stand with us! Hi, <laughs> right, man. On my chainsaw.
1: Okay, so chainsaw man Millet is talking a bit about political correctness. He says basically stupid political correctness says that if you don't say we're woke, you're you're immediately presented as a violent danger to democracy. And he says, basically, come on, guys, this is all, you know, ridiculous. So let's talk a bit about, there's this article in Forbes. You can read it if you want. I'll just give you some uh, context. It says here, basically, so he won against Sergio Massa as the former minister of economics. He got around 56%, whereas Massa got 44%. Now, the first electoral round was October the 22nd, where he got 30% and Massa got 36.7%. But the reason he won, to a large extent, was that the third-party leader, Bullrich, who got sort of 24%, told her supporters to vote for Millet. Now, the election has been represented and described as very ideological.
2: <laughs> well, he's a libertarian.
1: Yeah, and there is the issue of Peronism in Argentina that is basically statist policies and constant economic mismanagement. And uh, this person comes along and says basically we, that the Argentinians had enough with this and is going to use a chainsaw to cut spending. Okay, so um, his keywords are things like you know freedom of um, free trade, limited government, respect of property rights. And basically one thing to notice, which is important, is that Close to 40% of Argentinians are under the poverty line, and 56% of young people are under the poverty line, according to this article. And let us just talk about the economic index of the index of economic freedom. Argentina scores, at what place does it score? Uh, out of 176 countries. What is its position right now? I mean,
2: I've got it in front of me, so that's kind of cheating.
1: Okay, so don't talk about it. <laughs> 100? 144th. So it's, it's really low in economic freedom. It's also in the trade barrier index. Argentina ranks 80th out of 88 countries, and it ranks 95th in the international property rights index. So... Um, uh,
2: my, my only sticking point with that, and yeah, it's run by insane socialists who have hamstrung needlessly economic prosperity i just am wary of going forward only using economic metrics to register how healthy a country is because it can't account for things like happy families and the like so uh, when if he gets the economy into a a better shape and i'm happy to watch him do that from over there because we've not got any money invested in the like wish him well you also need a more cohesive national narrative than just I'm going to line your pockets with more money, particularly if he's going to do, as has been suggested in yesterday's segment, a open borders style policy because he's going to abolish the welfare state and just sort of hope people don't turn up. But if people turn up for better economic conditions, it doesn't mean that they'll cast aside their old cultural prejudices if you don't give them a bigger cultural story. So things matter more than just economics.
1: We will will see what is going to happen because obviously he has a very difficult task ahead. And these measures take time to give good to give good results to yield good results, so we'll see what's going to happen i don't I don't know exactly about the open borders issue, but I think that Argentina doesn't face the exact same issues that countries in Europe and also the u s is facing with immigration. So whether that turns out to be a problem in the future, I don't know. but the point is to look at the context of what is happening right now and When you're talking about the national sentiment, it seems to me that he is someone who does have national sentiment, and there are people with Argentinian flags in his rallies and in his party. Anyway, let us talk a bit about a funny aspect of the campaign that I was hoping you were going to illuminate me a a bit. John did. Let's say there was a sort of, if you can translate the post here, it says that there was a very organic campaign campaign that mixed Goku with Millet. This reminds me of when they kept making anime
2: of Georgia Maloney. Okay. I don't know what is with the online libertarian right and being obsessed with anime. And I've just made the YouTube comments a total cesspit now, haven't I?
1: So let, let's talk a bit about Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> I don't know much about it, but it seems like there was a comp- campaign to present Millet as Goku. Yeah. Goku. Here's one thing from here. It might just be the hair. Now, I, I don't see because there's this camera in front of me, but I was told that this is a powerful move uh this Goku is, going, is doing. This
0: is Super sorry? Saiyan. The number of views, though. 4.3 million on this.
1: Yes. This is by his account also. He is basically performing a powerful move against the Argentinian system and its representatives. He's tweeted out his own Goku memes. That's very strange. Yes. And here, basically, I, I've been told that this is a Super Saiyan underneath. Yeah. So I don't know exactly what a Super Saiyan is. But- I love how we've all become old men. Saying like, Oh yeah, the toys. The, well, he-
0: the boys are talking about there's a Super Saiyan yeah, but, one now.
1: Th- honestly, I don't know. B- before you tell me, I want to say that I've watched two people trying to become Super Saiyan in front of me. And the only thing I got is that they really wanted to share their constipated <laughs> expressions with someone. Yeah. It failed miserably.
2: Yeah, because it doesn't exist in real life. It's him going to a higher plane of superpowers and all he does is scream until his hair turns long and blonde and he gets more muscular.
1: And it's like him having bananas on his head or something there. Yes. Anyway, so here is another meme where he's turning into a super saiyan or something. So as you said, it's reaching a next level of power. I just... I don't, What? what? Maybe,
2: oh. maybe, maybe I'm really an old fuddy-duddy, but this sort of stuff is so imperceptible to me that there's a level of unseriousness there that I kind of... Reserve. Like, I do enjoy some internet memes, but it feels like discourse is becoming contaminated with pop culture references to the point of where if the president of a country is just tweeting out random Goku memes, how how yeah. unserious are we as a people? It's the
0: internet. Have fun. Well, yeah, well, I know I, you'd say guess. that. No, but I remember the uh, Trump posting with the, the anime stuff as well. You remember that advert? That, that starts off with some Japanese girl with, like, a photo of Trump going, oh, and then it transitions to, like, vaporwave bullshit. And it's just like, ah, this is great. I don't care. The only, and- the only funny <laughs> one I do
2: remember is when Boris on the 2019 campaign trail tweeted out, like, a 10-hour version of lofi Beats to get Brexit done to. Yeah, when he's I on the train. Yeah, I it's,
0: it's, To win an election, you do have to have good energy. And if people win elections without that, something's fishy. So,
1: basically, the message is, if you vote for Millay in 2023, you're becoming a Super Saiyan. You're getting the magical power to destroy the corrupt state that is keeping you down and keeping Argentina down. And anyway, it says here, liberty is marching. Now, let's talk a bit about another issue because I think that basically Millet is going to.
2: I hate the headline, by the way.
1: Yes, that's what I want to say. That he is going to be a person who will be attacked by both sides by status from both sides. And that's what I mean, because people who are statists have vested interests in every experiment that is anti-statist failing. So he is going to be criticized by everyone and he isn't going to get... Everything he does is going to be portrayed in a very bad light by people from all over the world.
2: I just and, don't think far right is the right label category. Obviously they're using it as a smear, like the, yeah. the smear, the smear means nothing. But if we think about the original conceptions of left and right from at least the French Revolution, it's that the rights were traditional and hierarchical, and he's not. He's, He's openly revolutionary and ideological. And even though Austrian economic principles seem to work, great, cool, it doesn't mean that you're a metaphysically minded traditionalist. Uh, that just it just doesn't apply do you know it just uh, i know yeah. I'm being autistic about it but it's just irritating to
1: me but it, it's the smear that is being used yeah, sure because when you have someone who's a libertarian i, I will stress in rhetor- in rhetoric we will we will see what he's going to do yes. but when you have people who basically um, campaign on a libertarian platform and you call their far right economically
0: not even that no yeah. They
1: want they want to basically smear him. Another issue that was by by the way the BBC it's your favorite.
0: Yeah, literal state-funded liars. Yeah.
1: So here the Guardian again.
2: Literal state-funded liars because the BBC keeps subsidizing the Guardian.
1: Yeah. So they say far-right libertarians like you know carnivorous vegan. And I want to say here something which we may clash here a bit, but there are some people who are basically saying. From from the right wing here, they yeah, let, saying they're saying this. basically he I is like going this. to he is going to fail, and he says something. They say something like, "Milay is a problem not because he's libertarian, but because every Latin American right winger still believes the U.S. is Reaganite, licks the U.S. boots, and disregards his own national interests and cultural heritage to favor an abstract and fruitless notion of liberty." and that he is 40 years behind. Oh, I'm going to follow this account.
2: Yeah, so not every Latin American right-winger does, yeah. actually, but Cayley doesn't. Cayley, in his rhetoric, is very much about soldiers of God. He's a Christian. He's not very liberal. That's what's brought him into clashes of the U.S. hegemony because he's not been very liberal in the way yeah. that he's locked up the MS-13 members and the U.S. State Department have gone, well, you might be staring down the barrel of some sanctions there, lad, because we actually like Latin America being embroiled in all sorts of cartel conflict. And I think this... This is what he's been criticized for in hooking up the Argentinian economy to the dollar rather than their national currency, which has been debased and and inflated. I think that is short term because the US petrodollar debt-based economy, even if Trump goes in, will go kaput eventually. So I I think Bacchetti's sort of, I'm not even a big Bitcoin fan, but a a kind of parallel asset-based currency is a much better way to go down.
1: Well, I want to say basically that for, for me, this uh, tweet is nonsense. And uh, for instance, they're talking about him disregarding his own national interests and cultural heritage. Well, the po- how? If you have for decades, consecutive decades, hmm. a statist economy and cu- culture and yeah. institution that is basically destroying the economic prospects of Argentina and it's actually contributing to the society, to the moral decline of society, then you really need to break that institution. Sure, but hooking yourself up
2: to the US or being a socialist country isn't a binary choice.
1: Well, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying it is. And that's I don't know exactly. I don't know. I, I'm i talking about this person here. Yeah, that's what they're saying, about, they're,
2: they're saying. They're saying uh, it's a criticism to
1: then go from- Excuse me, from sorry. What? Because when they're talking about him being an abs, in favor of an abstract and fruitless notion of liberty, that's nonsense. And especially if we think of the economic indexes that uh, and Argentina's place there. When you have, for instance, the position 144th out of 176 countries mm. in economic index but then you're not about an no no they are talking about it not, he is talking about it not when talking you're talking about an abstract notion of liberty yeah that he is he's about it's not abstract at all he's talking about economic liberty
2: yeah, but this is this comes back to what i was saying before about i'll be interested to see what he does after he does economic reform what's his national story this is what they're saying and of course they're going to say that because they're a christian posting account stelios so they're going to say that anything other than a Christian narrative. Is an abstract notion of liberty because he's only talking about materialism. So they're not being unfair in, the, in their critique. Um, there.
1: I, I don't have the impression he's anti-religion, by the way.
2: I'm not saying that he's anti-religion, uh, but what's what's his messaging been? Is what their critique is.
1: His messaging is that consecutive economic mismanagement of Argentina has led into a situation of moral decline. Yeah, and it's called the viveza criolla, which is the kind of status mentality yeah. of the principle of minimum effort yeah. that is basically leading Argentinians to think that there is no that that they shouldn't care about the common good because everything is corrupt. Hmm. This has to be destroyed. One of the ways in which this can be destroyed is by improving economic the economic conditions of the country. When you have a, a population that is under 40% in poverty, that's significantly more difficult for the population sure. to be to behave a bit more morally. So I don't see how what he's saying is abstract.
2: No, because they're saying that's... all that's, fruitless. That's, that's insufficient. They're saying that that clears out the corruption, that allows people breathing room to be prosperous and, and great. But from the purely material concern, the domain of morality, they're not, one doesn't necessarily follow the other. And so he needs an extra dimension, a sort of incorporative national story yeah. to then galvanize his population to be better to raise birth rates, to believe in their country again, to compel them to fight and defend for it, not just become an economic zone. They're saying that he might basically make it into an economic zone. That's not, that's not a fair critique.
1: That's not an unfair critique. Sorry. Um, I, honestly, I don't see this. And I, I don't think that Argentina is facing these troubles uh, specifically. And the idea is for him, according to a non-statist mentality, is that you cannot solve, solve the problem of moral decline with statism. Because when you have statism, you are coercing people and morality requires the element of choice, yeah, sure. you're robbing them away from it. Sure. So, anyway, if you want to see more about the notion of freedom, you could visit our website and check out Symposium 42 to see to show some flesh and blood on the idea of freedom that we're doing here. With as little as £5 a month, you can subscribe to our website and check all our lovely premium content. See you there. Okay, so... Um, He said something here about uh, abolishing several departments and several um, ministries. And we have from leading leading report here, it says Argentina's new Trump-like President Javier Millet keeps his promise and has announced that the Argentinian Ministry of Women, Gender and Equality will close in 21 days. Here we have Carl saying good morning from Argentina.
0: To be honest... It, yeah. Just get rid of it. It's not needed. No one ever wanted this crap. It's, every Western country has one for some point. It's
1: like they say that every, everyone says it's impossible until someone does it. Yeah. It's also the, with, with the... Who, who was the president? Was it Ecuador?
0: Who literally... I don't know anything about South America.
1: Okay. So it was something that it was not on the radar of people that you could clean gang viol- the, the country from gang violence and apparently he just did it.
2: I mean, the problem, the problem is, if you had sex realist positions for men and women's interests in regards to policymaking, and it wasn't infiltrated by some insane feminist ideologue, like right? if, you, if you had Louise Perry in there rather than bloody Jess Phillips, for example, or, or Stella Creasy or whatever, I mean, we'd all, we'd all be relatively happy. It's just how susceptible are these institutions to ideological capture? And obviously, in Argentina specifically, it's just rotten from foundation to top.
0: Yeah, Well there's sure. there's never been a successful gender ministry. But yeah, no, the gender, but gender is the wrong word for it. That's why. No, either way. I mean, you mm. can get your gender uh, roles from reality because that's why men and women are different. This BS narrative and ideology has to be state funded. But, but
2: the reason the reason those roles came about is because we weren't facing the same technological pressures now. I mean, so you would need someone who. It's not just technology, like uh, um, the birth the birth control pill, surrogacy, things like. In order to craft national international legislation about that, you do need someone to include into it
0: you don't need to foster a culture in which men and women are equal to deal with technology. I'm not saying that. Yeah, you don't need to have a state-funded mechanism to deal with it. You can do it on a private basis.
2: I don't agree, but fair enough.
1: So let's move on and uh, talk about the challenge, basically, that he's facing because it's fun to look at chainsaws, look at the dancing moves, and look at the rhetoric that appeals to people's emotion. This is you could say, necessary to win an election, but he is going to face a major difficulty now. Let us, uh, Before I say what this is, let me just say some data. So Peronists have uh, governed for the six, 16 out of the last 20 years, but basically they're saying that they have set the stage for the last 45 years of Argentinian history. And perhaps you could say even more bef- because Juan Perón go- assumed power in 1946 and until 1951. And then there was a period of turmoil. He came back, then his wife was, uh, was involved into politics. They have set the, uh, the cultural agenda for it. So basically what happens is Argentina is South America's second largest country. It is ravaged by hyperinflation. For several months now, inflation is more than 100%. I think right now it's close to 140%. So it's One of the you could say areas where you could definitely talk about the Austrian economics and the fear of the impact of high inflation. Um, So this causes people to not save in local currency and they want to buy dollars and U.S. dollars. And this has because the government has said that you are only allowed to purchase two hundred U.S. dollars a month. This has led into a huge black market of uh, U.S. dollars. This is one issue. Now, basically, their economy is stagnating and it loses its competitive uh, edge. And they have massive spending on all sorts of welfare schemes, on price subsidies, energy subsidies. Just I saw here from The Economist that Last year, they had $12.5 billion, which is 2% of Argentinian GDP, just for electricity subsidies. So they're basically spending a lot. They have a fiscal deficit for the last 13 years. Out of the roughly 45 million people in Argentina, around 14 million people are working, and more than a third are working in the, in the public sector. So it's basically, you have an economy that to a very large extent is based on the public sector. Um, They are printing lots of money, and uh, there are fears, as you mentioned before, of uh, tying the Argentinian peso with the U.S. dollar, but there is also the pragmatic worry that people have that there is no culture of fiscal responsibility in Argentina, and perhaps the worst thing is to carry on with the Argentinian central bank printing more money. Uh, Alternative uh, sources of funding have to do with the IMF. Over a third of IMF's credit is Argentinian debt. And it's close to 80% of the GDP, which is close to $630 billion. So it's a lot. There's also, a
2: lot. They're also hooked up to the Chinese Belt and Road Scheme. So they've got some of the largest lithium flats. the giant, They call it white gold flats in the world. And so they've just sold them off to the Chinese to make batteries. So yes. that's very precarious, and I've
1: heard also that they have really rich copper reserves that they just do nothing with, and that Chile does. And they are basically these reserves are in mountains that they share clo- in the the border. I think it's the Andes uh, region, and Chile is doing something about it. Argentina is doing nothing about it until so far. So let us look at here the debt to GDP ratio. Oh, it's on the great. wrong tab. Yeah, yeah. That's it will right. be fixed yep yep so basically let's go down here it says it's close to 80.3 percent of the country's gdp i mean there are worse i
2: mean yeah we we're worse we've tipped 100 percent this yeah. year
1: greece is 166 percent, and it uh, reached 200 and something percent some years ago but that was also due to the shrinkage of the gdp during covid and uh, let me just say also here we have so all of these uh, stuff. So basically, I won't say that the challenge with, that Millais is facing is that he has appealed to sentiment, which is necessary to win an election. But the issue is that he needs to carry on. Uh, he needs to move swiftly because the policies he is putting forward yield resort, results in the mid to short too long term so the question is how long is the short term if it's too long people might lose the belief that he can solve the problem and may think that he is part of it when you have 40% of argentinians being in the poverty below poverty levels it is easy to that it is easy to think in a vol- volatile manner so the issue here is that he has won with a rhetoric that has mobilized people, but is a bit, he's a, in a bit precarious a position because he can easily lose that crowd if, in, if that short term before the good results of economic liberalization show is a period that is extensive. And people start looking at what he's doing as part of the problem rather than a solution to it
2: not just that this is a mistake that trump made if you're going to try and bend the institutions to your will or even scrap them or reform them or kick everyone out of their jobs yeah. where do your enemies go they don't just disappear this is something that the left should have learned with cancel culture if you cancel someone they don't just vanish from the face of the earth exile doesn't work like it used to where people wandered into the wilderness and died of exposure and starvation these people will mobilize against him be it subversively or violently it's South America after all they have an incentive to ally with illegal gangs he better have some really good protection and he better have a plan with what to do with these people should they come for him yes be prepared
1: there's also the question of sabotaging by syndicalists and all people who are going to protest and they're going to they're going to strike and all these things so it's he has a tough job and I hope he improves Argentina but one thing is that old habits die hard and I've been told that there is this kind of mentality in Argentina. A lot of people are talking uh, against it. Call, they, again, they call it Viveza Criola. I mentioned it just a bit before that. They say that it's a way of navigating the Argentinian culture. And it has to do with thinking that basically the system is so corrupt that the only way to get ahead is to just cheat the system. And that fosters a culture of disrespect for other people, for, for norms, for institutions, and also for the common good. And basically they're saying that Essentially, essentially, it's basically status mentality. It's the mentality and the culture you get after decades of statism.
2: Isn't that what you've seen before in former communist countries and in Eastern Europe, where corruption is just sort of the norm and it's actually baked into the system?
0: Yeah, well, you're entirely right. I mean, that, I would just be repeating what Selya said, but yes.
1: So the issue is that all habits die hard. And... Um, when we are dealing with decades of Peronism, which has led into a moral corruption in Argentina, according to uh, what uh, people say, this doesn't change overnight. It doesn't change over two years. It doesn't change over four years. It requires a sort of moral le- revolution that is lasting. And I think that basically there is this mentality of blaming others and not assuming responsibility it has to change into a mis- mentality of, assuming responsibility. And if you want to check a bit more, check out the symposium number 45 on the problem of free will and moral responsibility. This is a rather flattering image, I must say.
0: Anyway. I thought it made you look like a statesman, but in mind.
1: Yeah. like So um, just remember with five pounds a month, you can gain access to all our premium content and watch our stuff. And also use code birthday for 33% off Please, can you guys help me? Because there's a camera in front of me. I don't say... For the first three months. Yeah, for the first three months. Okay. So, uh, I hope Millet succeeds into making Argentina a better place.
0: All right, let's go to the video comments.
2: By the time you guys watch this, I will be under the knife as I found out recently that I have testicular cancer. I'm going to be losing one of my boys and... I could use all the prayers and well wishes and whatnot that I can get. I'm also going to be three grand in the hole. Uh, Give, send, go forward slash Brinker Ball. Well, at least Harry got one more trans fan.
1: I wish you all the best and I wish you a recovery. It is very important to have really good psychology when yep. you're dealing with this
2: yeah that's why i tried to make light of it sorry man there's literally nothing i can say to make it better but i
0: mean yeah, well, good. well done for you to being brave enough to talk about it good luck um i, I read earlier i don't know if it's true if you lost a ball but niger farage had testicular cancer yeah he said in that yeah, yeah so it's it's not even um a barrier to the rest of your life it's it's just something you've overcome and
2: i'm sure you'll do fine yeah you too can go on to eat kangaroo anus in the <laughs> middle of the australian
0: jungle the next one
2: Is it mad of me to want to live in a Christian nation free of Islam? These days, it seems as though to speak ill of Islam is no longer allowed. Ever since 9-11, there has been a constant placative narrative, trying to normalize the religion in the minds of the populace. I may be barely old enough to remember Christendom, but it was better than the world we have now. Is it mad of me to desire more unity in a nation and less diversity? To have more things in common with my countrymen? Right now, all around the world I see no home. Communities have vanished. All I see now is rising hatred towards people because of their skin color and history with a growing genocidal mentality.
0: right, AI voice. I agree with everything you said. Can I make a recommendation if you are using AI to send video comments? It's probably not something we should encourage, but if you are going to do it, um, just as a private request, could you do more of David Attenborough? Because the channel that was doing 40K lore in his voice has been hit with a copyright strike and taken down. And um, I miss it. That's all.
2: Didn't even know it was possible. Right. Let's go to the written comments on the site. Okay, JJHW. The Russians are interested in the total destruction of the Ukrainian military, that is, victory. The Ukrainians are already on shaky ground. If the US stops funding them, their entire co- economy collapses. That's why loads of the funding was going to paying the pensions of state bureaucrats as well. So, they pull the plug, then that's it. Bleach Demon. One of the more interesting facets of the Ukraine war is how little the peace-at-any-cost crowd has been silent on the ceasefire or negotiated settlement. What, which To this humble observer, shows that this conflict is nothing more than a wag the dog scenario for Western politicians to maneuver and jockey some vague and vacuous ideological ego stroking. I think you're neglecting as well the lobbyist dimension there because the military-industrial complex, particularly after President Trump didn't start any new wars and actually ended quite a few of them, have no guaranteed revenue stream, not like the pharmaceutical companies did with lockdown. So they are making absolute bank off of needing their weapons reserves for domestic countries replenished if we're sending them all of their old stuff. So that's the financial incentive behind it. And then, of course, there's loads of members of Congress and members of Parliament who don't have to report their stock earnings who undoubtedly have stocks in these businesses. I mean, at the last Conservative Party conference, not this year, it's the year before, there was a, a Boeing stand or a Lockheed Martin stand where you could pose with a missile launcher and take photos. I mean, yeah, it looks aesthetically cool, but then the money behind it linked to the Parliament is not great. Not fantastic. Uh, Richard, Ukraine has been more of a war of indecision, inaction and incompetence. The Prime Minister of Ukraine was never going to win this one in terms of popularity or in terms of territory, etc. Zelensky's president, but yes. Being popular is not a remit for success. The man is a dangerous fool, a stubborn moron. Time has shown that. A sane man would have sued for peace. There is no future in the conflict. Only those who make claims to 4D chess and keeping rivals occupied while we make money and build new things. These individuals are living in the same unreality as Zelensky. They are not in charge. They are not reading the situation correctly. There is no progress or building anymore. Welcome to the real world. Um, I think you're conflating stupidity and profiteering there as motives. I think actually that the confected narrative about Ukraine being a bastion of democracy is just to sell it to the plebs who are obviously in revolt when everything's getting more expensive, and then it's immediately blamed on Putin and the war. And we're like, okay, why are you prolonging the war then? Why did Boris first week stop down any kind of peace talks? But there you go. I think that they're just profiteering and they know what they're doing, but they just don't care. Dan um, Arthur. Well, University Conservative Association recently had a debate on stopping aid to Ukraine and a new member, a lad from Donetsk, made a speech. He had a black sun patch on his bag. Ooh, ooh boy. Started talking about a fourth Reich and how Ukraine would have revenge on those who betrayed her if we stopped sending aid it was somewhat uncomfortable. That's got to be a plan. Uh, like, uh, They're pretty normal. <laughs> okay. um, unrelated to that, if you do have a University Conservative Association, we do do events. We've got one coming up in Bristol later this week. So uh, just send us an email, I suppose. Uh, Grant Gibson. I do love how Constantin Kissin wrote, we weren't wrong to support them and encourage them. So many young dead men and women disagree, dude. Um... <laughs> yes i mean i've always been on the side of one foreign war so i don't want to dump money into it no putin is not going to sail across the channel and invade us if anything we were dumb to keep sanctioning him but i don't want to cast aspersions on people who in the commentary for honest reasons who weren't just profiteering or weren't just buying into sort of end of history narrative that said
0: maybe we might be able to help them out win this thing i mean it's not it's not Good. This is why I hate these conversations in general about yeah. this war. What does winning or losing look like? Yes. So the argument for sending stuff to Ukraine was not because they're going to take back all their territory. They've utterly failed obviously. It was so they can have some independence. Hmm. And being a rump state in the sense of half of your country is occupied by a neighbor and you're in some kind of quasi-war for the next 10 years but not many people die but you sit in trenches. That's still independence. Yeah. That's still Zelensky and his uh, elite and friends being in power. It, it's not all or nothing there are other out there are other outcomes and the one we're currently living in is one of those outcomes
2: yeah and that's why the low resolution take of we fund them until they win as in a total victory yeah it does cost lives and that's why i've never been willing to endorse that position so and and people people endorsing it i mean they screwed up i suppose at least they're backing off of it now uh Connor lewis not bad. Twenty-five minutes before Connor made the same weird self-blame game. Russia's reaction to NATO's borders changing is not the fault of the West. Russia has absolutely no right to object to its neighbors joining a defensive alliance. The only people who would get angry about a nearby defensive alliance are people who want to invade their neighbors. Yeah, no, no. I, sorry, where was where was I saying that? Yeah, I totally agree with Russia. I'm saying that if people made the argument for that, they would then called a Putin apologist, and people spurg out about it, like you just did when I gave a fairly neutral reading of it, and also. If you know the Russians are volatile, the argument was, beware provoking them if you don't want to escalate to this situation. It was just
0: a pragmatic concern. It wasn't a moral assessment, but keep crying. Callum. There thing. is a fair criticism there though, that I find, because you, you get it, especially on the right, where it's like, well, NATO expanded, so it's therefore, mm. it's like, yeah, but why do any of these countries want to join NATO? Yeah, sure. It's because their neighbor is Russia. Yeah, sure. So... I don't not get it.
2: Yeah, but I, was, I wasn't even arguing that. I was just saying as soon as someone turned around and says it, they were called a Putin apologist. And that's yeah. just silly. I was just talking
0: yeah. to the, the debate that happens. Yep. Anyway, so on to this uh, stuff. So Matt P says the average article on the BBC website is 100 times funnier than anything that passes for comedy nowadays. Yeah, just go check out Pigeon if you're feeling bored. Uh, Arizona Desert Rat said, here's my question. Do these bones of people of African zent show more, the same amount, or less nutritional deficiency as those of white people. Nutrition would be the greatest factor in surviving the plague, not the color of your skin. Well, I guess those with super immune systems would be most likely to survive. Um, I don't know. I, I, That's have an to interesting
2: factor to consider, actually.
0: One thing I'd love to ask, though, is how, if racism real, how can you determine the race of a pile of bones? I just have always been annoyed by this. I mean, this is why we had that AI conversation where the AI can tell the race of an individual looking at their bones, and the creators of the AI couldn't figure out how. I said, so, well, sorry, but like, if these categories aren't existing, like you can't put people into these categories, as the researcher just did. Well, those categories obviously do exist. If you can, if you can't, then you wouldn't be able to.
2: Yeah, the conversation should not be about whether or not the categories exist. It's that by virtue of them existing, do they have any moral weight?
0: Yeah. What can you do with them? Yeah. And I, I'm just sorry, just a side point of being, being annoyed with mm-hmm. some people. Good. Um. So Colin Peace says, sorry, did that journalist talk about the death of color? plague when the number of black people in the Tudor period as if it was the same thing. The Black Death hits around 1350. Henry VII came into the throne in 1509. That's a century and a half between them. Yeah, they did just skip over that. They bring in the Tudor lady just as a backup. So yeah, again, journalists are worse than we could ever imagine and deserve everything we can give them in terms of disgust. George Hap says, having 20 or so minutes of hate against journo should be a recurring segment. I'll do my best. Captain Charlie the Beagle says, Funny how the archaeologists are okay to determine the race of a skeleton, but for some reason they can't tell the gender of the dead. Yeah, that's sort of my point. I'm just I'm so bored of those people that come along and just say like, gender's not real, race doesn't exist, but also I can tell you the race and gender of these bones. It's like, well, pick one.
2: Hmm. At least pick one. Yeah, but you underestimate people's ability to live with staggering cognitive
0: dissonance and make money off of it. True. Derek says, pigeon English is what happens when you marry a first cousin. No, it isn't, because that's Nigeria. So I'm sorry, we're in the wrong part of the world there. But um, it is what happens when you can't uphold standards, I think. Because it's like when people talk about, what is it? Black American English. I forget, there's a term for it in, uh, what would you call them? Dialect communities, like people who study language. Right. I forget the name. But there's a name for Black American English where it's now been declared its own dialect in some circles. And obviously a bunch of the other linguistic community is just like, no, it's obviously just speaking wrong. And there's these arguments, like, no, no, no. Saying, what was that? It's actually, it's a genetic thing. Back from the ages of Nigeria, when they lived in Nigeria, the, this language, trust me, bro, trust me, it had something to do with uh, the English language. When you mix it, it becomes, what is that? Oh, it's like trust when, me. You, when people say, rather than ask
2: aks when they say oxed.
0: Yeah, and it's just like no. This oh, is this question. Is, this is not some origins of the Yubu people coming through in the linguistic pronunciation of English. It's like no, it's just not speaking English right. Go to hell. Sorry. Hold another thing. I'm, I'm mad about a few things today. So I'll end this off with Arizona Desert Rat saying, "Hmm, all those Native American families I knew observed Thanksgiving, and I don't think anyone would be happy about losing four day weekend." Have no, a good luck with uh, keeping up. Before to- I go to mine, I think you have to read the honorable mention. Is there another one? You have to read it. Why? Unrelated to today's podcast, but have you seen the BBC's article claiming that black women are most likely affected by the plague? Uh, we'll have to cover it tomorrow, I suppose. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know, Bilbo. Bilbo, it's not for us. <laughs> okay, so.
1: Um, citizen philosopher, Detroit. I love it so much when Stelios is in a shh, IT posting mood. Can I say it? Well, you don't need to now. Okay, okay. That absolutely makes for my favorite podcasts. Tell your mom to log out of her account. I'm I'm happy you say this. Thank you. Um, Johnny Correa, Ministry of Women and the likes are the product of ideological subversion in the first place. Humanity didn't need a higher political structure to develop gender roles or any other morality access for that matter outside of religion. You can't legislate morality and any attempt is just a band-aid to an already crumbling social tissue.
2: You can legislate based on morality, especially when it has international concerns. It's like Maloney banning surrogacy. I mean, that is an actual women's issue with implications that go just beyond
0: national borders. Ebonics, people are saying in the chat. Well, okay, you know what I mean? Yes. Sorry.
1: So, no, no, no. I, I really like this comment because I really understand what it says. That says that it's just a band-aid to an already crumbling social tissue because I feel the same way about Greece in a way. And from my conversation with uh, people, I've understood that Argentina is close to it in some respects. And there is this mentality that basically no, it, things can change. It's just statism and people rant about it. But every time someone tries to do something about it, everyone says, oh no, I'm going to lose my personal benefits. And so I really understand what it says. Someone online, uh, journos, no, you can't go against the socialist status quo. Millet, haha, chainsaw go. (laughs) This is the funniest video. Yeah, it it fills you with energy somehow, you know, you're
0: present. There should be more props in British conversation. Another question time where someone brings out a machete, that would be good. Just to make a point. Is he on anytime soon? I mean, that's that's not a... I think (laughs) the audience is going to run screaming, Callum. That's actually a good idea. No, we're talking about Mizzy. So we pull out the machetes and be like,
2: wow, is this threatening? No? Okay. So the BBC, if I ever go on question time, I will not be bringing a machete. I disavow anything my colleague just said. I'll be bringing my AK. Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Derek Power. Remember that Millet hates socialists and they are the most destructive of anything and everything traditional. I worry less about Millet not being traditional than I am of the socialists doing what they have always done.
2: You can care about more
1: than one thing at once. The unbreakable litany. Millet demands folk lands back, counter offer. We make him PM and in return welcome the whole of Argentina to his majesty's loving embrace. I, d- I don't know about it. I don't know if it's just Legit or not?
2: I don't care about the Falkland Islands. Maybe this is a generational divide. Other than like sticking it to the Argies for fun, I'm not. If 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 the British people that live there really don't want to be, become part of Argentina, I'm happy to have Bro, have that fight. But there's a lot of money there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just I can't I can't be forced to care. I just I don't know. Maybe it's me being short-sighted.
1: Yakub Bogdanov, Miley's a curiosity to me, uncapped Zionist. There should be an state except the. Jewish state, truly something out of stone toss.
2: Yaron Brook has done that before as well, of where Yaron Brook has said, we essentially need open migration to abolish the welfare state. And then he, when he was asked, oh, is it okay for Israel to have a border war? And he went, yeah, because they're constantly under attack. And it's like, England, please. <sighs> um, I really do hate how the memes just work. Have you have you seen the Have you seen the Lord Jesus? I see what you've done for other people, and I want it for me. Every yeah. time that Israel posts about their demographics and their birth rates and their economy and their immigration policy, I'm just like An- another please. 500 billion from the American taxpayer. It's just like all right. I don't, I don't want to drain all my Yankee friends. We can have we can have all of their stuff without
0: necessary parasitizing the American hegemony. I hope. Look, look, we're mm-hmm. America's greatest ally, yeah. not Israel. That's what I'm saying.
1: And we uh, two two more: Milay, George Hap. Melee is the embodiment of high energy and has been showing his power level throughout the campaign. Plus, his, he does have the Super Saiyan hair. Throwing a spirit bomb at the gender equality department is one of the top anime battles in history. And also, Hector Rex, Connor, it's okay to have fun with memes. Also, Goku has been around for four decades, so it hits a side swath of age groups. And let me just say, it was someone I saw from here, which I want you to explain to me, it says that. Millet reached level 9,000.
2: Oh, that's uh, it's over 9,000 is a power level meme from Dragon Ball Z.
1: Well, we're out
0: of time. Yeah, but like. yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, Millet's power is over 9,000.
0: If you'd like more from us, come back tomorrow or another day or yesterday. At one o'clock. Uh, well, don't. Uh, just... Well, no, you should. <laughs> it's up to you. Do as you wish. Except pay for our stuff. Go buy our merch and give us money and use the birthday subscription to save you money and then give us more of it. Anyway, bye-bye.